Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friends, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hello. And today we are joined by our friends, Erin. Hello. And Geraldine, a.k.a. G-Unit. Hey. Today we're talking about Fahrenheit 451 and the idea of censorship. So spoiler alert for Fahrenheit 451, both the book and the movies. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving... Please sit upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So, uh, our two guests, could you guys give us a synopsis of Fahrenheit 451? So, the movie follows Guy Montag, who is a firefighter in this dystopia set in the future in Ohio. They're in Ohio? They are. I have no idea. They mentioned it at one point, and I was like, really? I guess that's where the book is. (laughs) What an important detail. (laughs) So for those who did watch the new HBO movie, you'll notice that it's drastically different than the book. So we're also going to give a book synopsis. Uh, so the book is a, a dystopian novel about a world where books are illegal and media is controlled by the government. Uh, people think they are happy. That was ostensibly the reason why uh, they enacted these oppressive policies. But people are actually dying of risky behavior, suicide, uh, showing deep despair Universally. It's pretty sad. (laughs) Sounds like it. (laughs) I would have loved if you came up. But in the end, it all turns out fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's... We'll get there. We'll get there. (laughs) Um, So, I think I know the answer to the question, but um, what did we all think of the movie? Hated it. (laughs) It I could appreciate it. Um... If you read the book, it's completely different, so it depends on what your perspective is on movies versus books. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But. Uh, for me, it comes down to like name recognition. I know a lot of movies use the title of a book to get people to watch it, and then it's completely different, like World War Z. Um, so I imagine that more people could like Fahrenheit 451, the HBO version, if they had just named it something different. Mm-hmm. And it could have been its own movie. Um, that's just one reason that people might complain about it. Yeah, I have not read the book, but I, uh, watching the movie, was just like, I have a feeling this is very different from what <laughs> happens in the book. It just gave me that vibe, and it was fine. I probably won't watch it again. <laughs> probably won't suggest it to anybody, but, yeah. you know, it, it was an hour and 40 minutes uh, that I watched yeah, for me, like, it was an hour and 40, but it felt like a day yeah. um, that I'll never get back again. It was um, slow-paced. It was yeah. very slow-paced. Oh, you found it slow-paced? Yeah. Okay, I just found, it, maybe it was slow-paced. It was so empty to me and so loud. I thought it was fast-paced but not going anywhere. Hmm. Was, maybe that was, yeah, yeah. maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah, it didn't, it, it like, and, and we'll, I guess, like, you know, talk a little bit about kind of the connection to the book in a little bit, but... Yeah, I just, I mean, I have to say, I'm not a huge fan of movies anyway. So, you know, I'm, okay. I'm a book person. I love TV. So, you know. Eel. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We were, um, while we were watching it and they break into one of the big eel um, hideouts with all the books, we were like, why don't they call them like Poindexter or something? <laughs> and just say like, readings for nerds and like break their glasses and have <laughs> That, that worked in my old neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> no one read there. <laughs> yeah, we were like, this book isn't about censorship, it's about bullying. <laughs> isn't censorship bullying? 
I don't know. Oh, oh that's why I'm yeah. saying. My girl who I call Jerry needed to be here. Yeah. I'll say that I'm a big fan of Michael B. Jordan, mm-hmm. and I'm very willing to watch him, like, paint a wall. So, yeah. Like, and, then, and then if he's standing there watching the paint dry, I will also stand there and watch the paint dry as long as I he's in my view. So for those minutes that my time was wasted, I, I didn't really mind. He, oh, I'm just going to say he's very handsome. So, oh, you know, yeah. so I yeah. get that. That's and, about what I was going to say. Yeah, he is super handsome. I did not I did not like him in this in this book in this movie. Uh, but that's I think because the character in the movie is so completely different than the character mm-hmm. in the book and I actually preferred the character in the book. Um and so and also I felt like his, uh, I felt like his performance was um, uninspired. I've seen him in things where he's fantastic, uh, mm-hmm. like Parenthood, the TV show. He was amazing. Uh, he uh, he played a former a recovering alcoholic who was dating the the primary character's daughter, and he just he made me laugh. He made me cry. Uh, he made me want to date somebody way younger than me. <laughs> but yeah, but I wasn't a fan here. He just, he seemed to play the same kind of character he played in Black Panther, like, very good looking, but vengeful, and you kind you don't know if you like him or not, and that was what he was for me. Yeah, I would definitely say his performance in Black Panther was better, but yeah. the character mm-hmm. is um, similar. similar. Um, I felt that he and Michael Shannon um, did fine. Um, but they didn't really have a lot to do. As you said, it was fast-paced. That didn't really go anywhere. So it's kind of hard for them to put that in there. And they probably, you know, maybe they were fans of the book. And then it turns out that the movie wasn't close enough. So maybe they weren't really impassioned to put that much into their performance. Yeah. I think they must have been because Michael B. Jordan, I think, was a producer. So he must have had yeah. some sort of passion for the project. But it didn't really reflect in the final version of the movie? Um, for me, I noticed that there wasn't that much dialogue. When the dialogue existed, it was pretty iffy. And most of it was just visual, almost like just a bunch of montages back to back, a lot of contemplation, a lot of like zoomed in on faces and pursed lips, and a lot of fire, which I guess is like, wait, what's this book about? Oh, burning stuff? All right, I know what our set's going to look like. <laughs> I think, you know, if I could just kind of like bring it back to the book just for a minute and then I'll, then I'll shut up because nerd. Um, but <laughs> what I think was so funny about this movie is uh, that it was uh, about the importance of books, but it was so terrible at conveying that theme. Uh, in, the, in the book, they, they talk about what is important for human happiness and that there's three elements. Um... And one of, one of which is that books are important because they tell detail, uh, because they give uh, depth to life. Um, and I felt like this movie was totally lacking depth. Uh, it was, another thing was that, um, is that it's important in life to have time to, that you have time for leisure. And not just kind of like sitting around doing nothing, but like having time for contemplation and introspection. And I felt like the movie had no contemplation or introspection like it was just very fast and mm-hmm. that there was no time for you to think um and the last is that they say that that books are uh patching together their stitch uh stitch the patches of the universe together into a garment 
for all of us. And I felt like there was no coherence to the movie. Like I wasn't sure who was a good guy, who was a bad guy, why they were good or bad. I, there was I, so it it was it was to me it's ironic that everything you learn from the book is thrown away in the movie. Right. Yeah. I think it relies on people knowing the book, but by doing that, you're destroying that same audience because you're not aligning it with the book. So they missed a lot of explanations that they sort of are like, you should know this because you read the book. But if you read the book, you're going to be way less likely to enjoy this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, that's where I thought of the whole meta aspect because I thought, well, maybe in the defense of the director, he thought, well, I'm going to push people away from movies by watching this movie I made about the book. (laughs) That's, That's what I thought. Maybe it's just super meta. But I don't know if I'm just trying too hard to defend this movie because I kind of want to like it, but it's just not there. Well, the book's about um, the dangers of TV taking over um, to, like, replacing books. Mm -hmm. I think in the movie, they, I guess missing the irony, tried to focus more on social media. Right. Um, And it just didn't really translate well. Because, like you said, they didn't put in the hey, books are still cool. It was really just, like, social media is bad. Right. Yeah. And so is everything else, so, like, there's no options. (laughs) There were a few details, very few, details that I liked in the movie that I think I appreciated more visually than I would have if I was reading. Um, One of them is when they're in the classroom and they're teaching the kids, like, about books and why they're so dangerous and the kids start, like, chanting to burn the book. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah. yeah, and I'm like, I don't think I would have gotten that by reading it right. about how like creepy it is and how in line with where we're headed is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then there was Scary. this other scene where Michael B. Jordan walks into this room, basically like a library, and he's almost like afraid of the books and he's like intrigued by them and he wants to know about them, but he gives off this, what I think is the, uh, the one good performance of like being afraid of how intrigued he is and like being worried of like are people gonna judge me for wanting to read these books am I gonna be messed up in the brain if I do read these books I thought that was a really good portrayal I also liked there was no um chant that the firefighters had in the book Mm -hmm. and I appreciated that because it it made it seem more real life and attainable if the firefighters were chanting because it's all about brotherhood and why this is good because it's camaraderie and that wasn't in the book it was some it was a new element that was something that i appreciated but other than that uh... <laughs> i think i think one thing like you know comparing it to the book like the firefighters in the book were more like every man you know what mm-hmm. i mean and that's what that's what i loved about the book and guy montag is like here's this like normal guy who takes the subway to work who doesn't have enough money to buy his wife the new tv that she wants and you know and he's just like and he's a normal part of that unit and that unit is nothing kind of like special per se um and so it like uh, what i didn't like about about the firefighters in the movie was that they were like superheroes they were just rock stars and it like that takes a whole different element about it it's like i like to see how like you know how like this happens to the everyman and his wife who is not in the movie anyway we talk about that but (laughs) but like this is what happens to the everyman and his wife and we're all everyman Mm-hmm. And so I connected more with the characters in the book than the movie because of that. And I think that's why his name was Guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because, and also Montag, I don't know if I'm reading too deeply, is Monday in German, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So maybe it's like supposed oh, yeah. to be like the guy in the mundane every day. 
Oh, interesting. You know. Whoa, whoa. And also the eel, I'm pretty sure was not in the book, right? Which I don't one? recall. I don't recall so them being called how eels. Oh, the maybe they were. Eels. Oh, yeah. Okay. That was a totally new element, which was eels. cool <laughs> to put like a uh, an evil sort of yeah. name attached de- to them. I definitely appreciated the watching them get brainwashed into believing yeah. that what they're doing is right. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought that's something that happens all the time and something that I think we can relate to and can look at our society and say, wait. Yeah. Yeah, they did a good job of making it like a very cultural thing, like how the firemen are superheroes and rock stars and everyone looks up to them while they're burning the books. The eels are like a gross, slithery Mm -hmm. bottom feeder. And it's like you said, it's just kind of a cultural brainwashing that should be flipping a mirror to the audience, right. but kind of misses. <laughs> yeah. There's a little askew. <laughs> There's a scene where Michael B. Jordan is with the eels, and they're asking him, like, why do you do what you do? And he's like, it's the only thing I know how to do. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think they could have done a lot more with that idea and, like, sort of expand on this idea that eels don't understand why the firemen do what they do, and the firemen don't understand why the eels do what they do, and see if they can, like somehow come together and look at each other's differences. Because mm-hmm. when it comes down to it, when we talk about racists, it comes down to their upbringing and mm-hmm. trying to put yourself in their shoes and trying to help them understand why they're wrong without attacking them is going to most likely be the only effective way of having an actual conversation with someone. And then on the flip side, a racist would need to have the compassion or empathy to look at their upbringing and say, oh, maybe there's something wrong here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one difference, I mean, I, I couldn't, in the movie it seemed like eels were just people, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we're all just people. But like in the, <laughs> in the books, the eels, or I don't think that they were called eels, but they were elites. They were the professors. They were the journalists. They were the people, you know, the, the, the first people who were kind of taken down, right? Like when the Nazis come into power, when the commies take, come into power. Like, so it's like, so from that perspective, they also weren't just like, they just ended up being like so-called eels. They were, they became eels through education, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe then that's, that's another kind of like, I think element that was missing from the movie that actually would be more relevant today is like you know the whole idea of like the elites trying to like you know like oh like screw the elites you know what i mean like i love trump (laughs) you know kind of thing but um yeah i had a hard time understanding whenever there was anything on this on the building screens you would see a bunch of thumbs up and sad faces and happy faces like was that society pressing a button saying like hey i like what's happening right now yeah yeah i imagined it was like a facebook live where it's the video and then if someone likes it you see it like fly across the screen and then like you would also see comments and so like it's people reacting in real time to what's happening but then would they have the choice to react sadly against like a book burning because if not, wouldn't they be targets? Like, that's what I didn't understand. They had the freedom of choice of emotion. I don't know. It what just didn't have, make sense. Hypothetically, they could have frown-faced whenever, like, Michael B. Jordan was on because they okay. didn't like him. And then they would smiley-face the fire whenever that was on. But okay. it just seemed... It wasn't explained well enough. They just... Like, yeah. They tried too hard to add our elements mm-hmm. of media on top of what already is good in the book. Mm-hmm. Which, some of it I appreciate it because, well, I hope the audience is smart enough to see the 
the mirrors of, you know, he said a phrase, something about make whatever great again. It does miss the mark, as you said. Um, You brought up the idea of they have the freedom of choice to respond, but like, would they really? Because then um, they become a target. I don't think the movie explicitly says this, but they mention that you can read books on the special media platform that they have. Mm -hmm. I think it's called The Nine. Oh, that's what that... I was like, what is The Nine? I did not get that. (laughs) That's what I gathered. Okay. But, so my idea was... Oh, like the cloud? Like Cloud Nine? Probably. I thought there were only nine books that they were allowed to read. Well, that's what I'm I'm saying. I'm thinking you can still read books, but (laughs) it's like the government's version of the book. Right. But they don't really get into that. Mm -hmm. So it is this illusion of choice. At least that's how I interpreted it. Yes. But I might be giving the movie too much credit. (laughs) No, I think they do touch on the illusion of choice. Yeah, they they do. And and you also, like, they showed the books that are Mm -hmm. on the nine, right? And it was like, they had a couple of emojis. Like, that's essentially what's in the book, I think. Like, my understanding, like, my, the way I took that was, it's not a real book. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, here's a couple of emojis. And, like, the Bible is like, look, happy face, you know? (laughs) Um, In the book, does Montag die? Because I remember... He he becomes one of the members and starts memorizing a book, right? Yes. yes. He becomes like one of the, I guess, elites would be in the book. Yes. And their whole mission is get a bunch of people to individually memorize books. And as a collection, we now have a library. Yes. And they, they're, like the premise of the end is that they are to rebuild society, right? right. Yes. Because the, there's like a, so they throughout the book, they're like waiting for war to happen. Um, and first of all, like that's the reason, that's part of the reason that they have to keep people so busy with the media is so that they don't realize that they're starting wars and engaged in all these wars across the world. Um, and the war comes right at the end of the book. And so the only people who are alive are the elites who left the cities uh, to escape persecution. Um, and, and the book ends with Montag. He was, like, the book that he was supposed to have memorized, he, like, he tried to memorize it, and it kept leaving him. And the elites were like, don't worry, it'll come when you, it'll come when you need it. Uh, he ends with, he ends with a, a, a line from, I believe it's a class to see, uh, or, like, uh, I'm not good at Bible stuff. <laughs> Ecclesiastes is that a- Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes or something. Okay. Yeah. It's like about the about the 12 tribes like going out oh. into the world and okay. the tree of life blah blah blah. Like from Black Panther? Uh, <laughs> when Bible stuff happens, like I like immediately freeze. <laughs> I'm I'm still I'm still recovering. <laughs> so, you brought up the point of the media like keeping people busy so they don't realize that also is a great thing to like point at what's happening now. Like um, Childish Gambino had this song in the music video, This Is America, and that's literally the point of the video. So more <laughs> as we're talking about it, I'm really seeing how much this movie missed by. Like it had <laughs> such opportunity to show a very relevant topic, and it just... Especially in Trump's world, right? Like, yeah. I mean, in his rallies. Are his rallies not just like... You know, bread and circus. I mean, yeah. that's that's right. all it is, except without the bread. You know what I mean? Right. It's like you know, here's and, and, and you know, it's been happening over the last cu- uh, the the last couple of rallies in particular are really going strong, and I'm like, eh, people are being brainwashed by it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. And I find just going back to the ending of the book versus movie, the book's ending is a lot more hopeful. Yeah. And not just because the the protagonist lives. Like in the movie, the big hero move is that he becomes a martyr for the cause but like that's not 
the best case scenario. No. Yeah. Like <laughs> becoming part of a resistance that survives and can recreate that education is definitely a better point to make. And I'm surprised that the movie chose the worst option. <laughs> yeah, because how is that? I don't, it made it made me confirm that I wasted my time watching it. <laughs> yeah. Because then he doesn't like. I don't know if it's up to the interpretation of the viewer to choose if he lives or dies. But then that's not fair. Yeah. Like I want to know. Yeah. Because I mean, in the book, it is hopeful. Yeah, and I I was mildly appreciative of the fact that. Like, he watches his first person burn in the beginning of the movie, and then he cannot comprehend why anyone would die for books. And that's what he might do at the end of the movie. And I guess I love when things come full circle. Mm -hmm. But even this wasn't enough for me to be like, oh, I like this ending. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Now, while the book is hopeful, right? Like, because the elites lived and... It's also, though, it's cautiously optimistic. Because it's, it's, it says in the book, like, that this has happened before. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, we've had the Dark Ages before. Like, you know, and, and that this will probably come again. But don't worry, there will always be some element to kind of, like, plant the seed. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, it's it's going to grow, and then it's going to die. And then it's going to grow, and then it's going to And I like that. Fall, fall with, or whatever it is. with the book, because the whole, like, overarching symbol of fire like in order to grow you must burn it down you must you know like a phoenix it must grow back from the ashes and in the movie it's kind of like uh it doesn't do that well if if we're so futuristic why are we still burning shit like don't we have better options (laughs) yeah i don't understand that like i get it in like the 50s but come on man right Um, so I want to get into one thing that the movie missed and is really going to affect the author. <laughs> um, <laughs> I read this in a Cracked article about books that people completely missed the point of. And one of the books was Fahrenheit 451. And they talk about Bradbury constantly complaining about people misinterpreting his book. He says that he's more concerned with TV destroying interest in literature than he was with government censorship and officials running around libraries with lit matches. And so he was complaining about how TV is going to just melt people's brains. And every audience member, and that's for a movie, every book reader was like, nope, this is, this is clearly about censorship. <laughs> and when you watch the movie, it's impossible to get Bradbury's interpretation because they cut out the entire aspect of, yeah. one, the wife, and but too, like all of the TV and like social media stuff, they just missed it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's interesting because while I was watching this movie, I was like, I don't see how this can't be about censorship. Mm-hmm. Um, but then learning more about the book, I realized, oh, I guess there is like other lessons you can take about it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, culturally, we've just adopted this idea that this book is only about censorship. Right. And that's the main thing to take from it. They, they also, um, in the book, they, they go to pains to talk about how people gave up the books, that it was people's decision, and that we actually didn't even need the firemen, that the firemen were kind of just there every once in a while for show. Um, but, like, people willingly didn't want to read books anymore because they had other stuff to do. Right. Mm-hmm. And they also didn't, that the people wanted to give up the books because they didn't want multiple perspectives about different things that they that people are happier when they just have one perspective that they can just accept and move on 
Right. And one of the motivations of book burning was conflicting ideologies, contradictions, and things that uh, insult people. And um, yes. so they were burning things that people took offense to, which I think could bring us into a conversation about political correctness. Before we do that, though, I, I wanted to bring up Bradbury's goal or point of television brainwashing. I have this XKCD article that I find very amusing about the topic. So it just it has a couple of panels. 1840. The modern bookworm is too busy reading about the world to look at it. 1880. No one talks anymore. We take our daily newspapers in silence. 1910. The magazine is destroying conversation. We even read as we talk. 1960. Television has put an end to family discussion. 1980. Thanks to the Sonny Walkman, antisocial isolation is now the norm. 2015. We've become too absorbed in our phones to notice the... And then another character comes in. Dude, it's been two centuries. Take a hint. <laughs> <laughs> and so if Bradbury's goal was to talk about how television's going to ruin us, I think he's wrong. Mm -hmm. So I think it's better to focus on talking about censorship and potentially political correctness. Yeah. <laughs> Off of that point, though, I do want to uh, talk about that idea really quickly because there is this thought that's very prevalent nowadays, especially with um, smartphones and social media, where it's the new technology, the people that didn't grow up with it are always like, oh, this is going to ruin everything. Um, and there's a really interesting story about... I don't know if this is the right word, the stenograph, that those like wax cylinders that played music. Yep. <laughs> People were like, no one's going to go to concerts anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no one's going to want to learn how to play instruments. And it actually created this big boom in the music world. That's why jazz was invented, because people were listening to the same songs now again. So people started to appreciate improvisation. The pop song was invented because they had to be short enough to fit on one of the cylinders. It increased people's interest in music and therefore increased people's interest in learning how to play an instrument. Yeah. So I think this is just kind of like a generational thing. Because it turns out the more people discuss something and have access to it, the more they want of that. Yeah. People were also freaking out when a lot of uh, texting acronyms came about and people were saying like, oh, our, illiter our illiteracy levels are going to be through the roofs because they never take the time to actually write things out. No, literacy actually improved because now they're texting all the time and they're improving their writing <laughs> mm -hmm. skills. <laughs> there are some elements, though, that I think are true. Like, so, Joe, when, yeah. you, when you talk about, like, you know, the music business, like, what, what it actually... You know, speaking as an economist, yeah. it like you know, it, it did it does make the market bigger, mm -hmm. but it also makes superstars. So right. it used to be that you had individuals who could make a living like playing instruments on a regular basis, and now it's like you have you got Beyonce, and then you got the dude in the subway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you know, or it, and that's really kind of like you have those two worlds. Um, so it's like yeah, there are some positives, and then I think on on net. It wins, right. but there is this kind of like negative element of like, mm -hmm. you know, superstar effect. But yeah, and there certainly is negatives to, you know, too much TV, too much smartphone, but I think the idea of all bad is totally. silly. Totally. <laughs> but I agree. yeah, that is a very good point. You know what's interesting, like in terms of like the new generation, so I, I, my stepdaughter is, uh, my stepdaughter is 15 mm -hmm. and I'm like, really old and we have conversations a lot uh she's like she's super into music and she loves rap right like she's been brought up listening mm -hmm. to rap um and she, i was talking to her about censorship 
And she had no idea that there was a huge fight in the 1990s about making, especially rap albums, and we can talk about the racism there, mm-hmm. uh, making them, you know, essentially illegal or you couldn't purchase them if you were under 18 and how, you know, how they ended up with the, uh, with the parental warning stickers. Um, and that, of course, just made those albums much more popular among teens. Right. But she was shocked that, that there would even be a question as to whether or not you could say, you know, curses in an album. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've been on record on other podcast episodes saying that some things might should not be as accessible to kids as they are. So I do believe that there's a time and a place for children to make decisions for themselves versus parents making decisions for them. One example I gave was how easily accessible 13 Reasons Why is on Netflix mm-hmm. and how anyone might be able to watch it and might not have the resources to like have a talk back with an adult or like really be able to digest it. And I thought that could be dangerous. But I am not supportive of this censorship and this idea of, one, a government deciding it or a right. state deciding right. it, and two, sort of ripping cultures apart and saying that this culture potentially is inappropriate and so we're going to dismiss it or even try to get rid of it in a very lawful way so no one considers it racism yeah (laughs) (laughs) totally (laughs) yeah in our um deadpool episode we talk about the um, movie ratings and the idea that they're trying to protect a morality but it's like whose morality we know whose (laughs) um, it's like these people get to decide what is seen and what is heard and what doesn't get to be seen and what doesn't get to be heard absolutely absolutely so is anyone here for censorship uh government (laughs) censorship anyone uh... fuck no (laughs) (laughs) like i think and, and i understand i understand where you're coming from in terms of like you know kids getting access i just think i think it's a losing battle like, with the internet, like, I just don't think that that's something that is possible. I mean, it's been proven, right, at this point. Mm-hmm. Like, how much porn can one person get? <laughs> like, it's 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 impossible to kind of, like, move forward on that. So I think we've just all given up as a society. But that has created two societies, right? Like, right. you have, like, the coasts who are, like, totally just, like, okay, you know, like, rap and you know, and, and pop with like lots of like curses and, um, and, and Netflix and Hulu and HBO for kids, whatever. And then you have like the middle of the country that has just kind of like has created their own sources of media, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. I don't know exactly what they are, but (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I was growing up, uh, me and all my friends really loved the Simpsons, which is, you know, like an adult show. Um, and then one day my friend Nick came to school and he said that his mom decided that he's not allowed to watch it anymore. <gasps> yeah, and I was just very like, yeah. what? Like, you don't get to what? Like, I was like confused by it. <laughs> I-, I wasn't allowed to watch The Simpsons. I wasn't allowed to watch um, Married with Children, uh, which kind of makes sense. But, yeah. uh, but I also, you know what? I was not allowed to watch the movie Dirty Dancing. Really? And I, yeah, and I went to a Catholic school and um, and they showed it in school. Uh, when I, my dad was so pissed. I mean, this is also a dad who is angry at the Catholic Church for Vatican II and who does not believe that our current pope is actually the pope. Hashtag He's, not my pope. <laughs> hashtag not my pope. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't believe Jesuits are actually Catholic. So oh, it all right. kind of like fits in. But yeah, like, I mean, and so he was constantly trying to like extend the tide of things that I could watch and... And then that worked, right? Now you're a conservative. <laughs> <laughs> and now, now he's got a commie daughter uh, <laughs> who uh, 
who, yeah, no, I mean, and that's the thing, right? Of course I snuck it. Of course I did. And right. it, cause it became more amazing, more awesome. Yeah. Yeah. For me in high school, I was dating this girl and we watched Glee together and her father said that she wasn't allowed to watch the episode about Madonna. Um, and like, That's really specific. Because there's a song that they sing, like, a virgin, and, like, it's all about her having sex for the very first time. Oh, yeah. And it blew my mind that a parent would even try to tell their child to not watch something. Mm-hmm. That may be because I'm the youngest, and so my parents tried and gave up with my older <laughs> two brothers. Yeah. And so they were just like, oh, do whatever you want. And while, whereas she was the oldest and like, they were still practicing on her. Uh, Totally. Uh, But it, I was like, but you're still going to watch it. She's like, yeah, just not when my dad's around. (laughs) (laughs) I, uh, was banned from watching South Park at one time. Totally get it. (laughs) And so I just didn't watch it for a long period of time. And then one day, uh, at school, my friend was like, did you see the new South Park episode? I was like. No, I can't watch South Park. And he was like, why not? And I was like, yeah, you're right. (laughs) And then I just started sneaking it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I think there is a time and a place for parenting. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, I think South Park has a lot of good lessons in it. I think The Simpsons has a lot of good Mm -hmm. lessons in it. And it's crude and it's like, it's vulgar. But it brings up a lot of satire that gets to the point of what's wrong with our society it's like mark twain animated tv (laughs) (laughs) i think like there's um i i used to i used to show uh south park episodes in my money and banking class um and you know in particular i think i I showed the the episode about um the financial crisis Mm -hmm. and you know but and i self-censored i mean i was not and it wasn't just because i was teaching at you know a catholic school that will remain nameless um (laughs) because they fired me (laughs) but but it wasn't just that it was also like some of the jokes were uh making fun of religions in an inappropriate way now i'm fine with that again i don't agree with like any government censorship i watch it i laugh but I wouldn't want to show that in a class and have somebody of that religion and feel, you know, um, exposed or, you know, that I wouldn't feel right about that. So I, so I put together, you know, so I would like self-censor it. Yeah. And there's another aspect of you're in a position of power. You're the authority. You don't want to impose your ideas on someone else because that could be its own form of censorship where you say your way is right. Mm -hmm. And then that means other ways are wrong. Absolutely. Except for my interpretations of Adam Smith. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. At the same college, uh, I was, (laughs) I was on the, uh, this is a support group, right? (laughs) To use the audience to vent for a little bit. Um, I was on the, uh, improv team. I'm calling it a team to make me feel like cool. Um, you I don't think Troop is cooler? Troop is cooler. I was on the improv troupe, and um, there was a time where there were, you know, talks of, like, censorship, and, like, artistic clubs couldn't, like, do all the things we used to, and we had to hold back on some things. And at one point during a show, someone said, fuck, and then a representative from Student Activities was like, hey, like, get, watch it. She was misinformed on what, like, they were, like, trying to censor, quote-unquote. And so I had to talk to the head of student activities, and she was like, no, we're not trying to stop, like, curse words. We're trying to stop, like, you know, the N-word, like, racial slurs, religious slurs. And I was like, totally cool. 
communicate that. <laughs> yeah. Like, if you're going yeah. to censor, you need to be specific on what you're censoring about. And going back to the and Deadpool episode... Why. Yeah, and going back to the Deadpool episode, that's typically not the case. They're typically like, you don't get to say this. Why not? You just don't. Mm-hmm. I get to decide, and you have to do it. And I think that's a one of the big reasons as to why people hate government censorship, because it's typically, there's no rhyme or reason. It's just because they say so. Yeah, and um, the professor who started that club um, is under the belief of if you do something and you say something inappropriate, the audience will let you know that they didn't like it. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. you're going to learn way better if you're struggling out on stage than if someone else tells you, hey, you probably shouldn't do that on stage. It won't go well. So we're under the belief that the society will self-regulate what is appropriate and inappropriate rather than a state or a government. Mm-hmm. Um, now, lately, I don't know how yeah. accurate that is. <laughs> yeah. But like, in a small enough scale, <laughs> I think it can work. It's funny, like, so uh, I bringing up comedy. So I was recently at Caroline's in the City watching, there's a, who's the guy, the guy from um, uh, The Hangover? Um, Ed and, Helms? Uh, no, no, the um, the Asian guy. Uh, Joe Chang. Joe. Ch- uh, That's what his name is in Community. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> Professor Chang, exactly. And he he was amazing. But there was a there was an opening act. Um, guy was uh, he was Korean, and he was making a lot of jokes at the expense of African Americans. And it wasn't just in general; it was pointed at a particular person. So there was a, there was an African American guy sitting up front, and he was called out and. Uh, you know, made jokes about like, you know, going to jail and doing drugs and like, and not taking care of his kids. It was, so, and, and the audience, I mean, I'm, I got chills right now because I was so angry. Um, and, but the audience, it was like, first of all, there was a couple of white guys who were sitting right there and they were laughing a little too loudly. And then there was the rest of us who made it pretty clear that we did not like it. Now, the comedian then made some jokes about, you know, we were being politically correct and we had white guilt. It was fine. You know what I mean? But, like, we made it pretty clear that we didn't like it. Now, I went up to the guy at Caroline's at the end and just said, hey, we didn't really like this. Mm-hmm. Not, not, that you shouldn't, not that you shouldn't have him back, but, like, I would never go see him and it made me feel really uncomfortable just FYI, you mm-hmm. know? So, I don't know. But. Yeah. And I think, I think we should get into this topic of political correctness because I, I find that whenever people talk about political correctness, they exaggerate it one way or the other. Yeah. And it's mm-hmm. like political correctness just leads to censorship, which leads to like sensitive snowflakes. And then the other direction <laughs> is like without political correctness, the world will burn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like what would you guys define as political correctness and what do you think it's Maybe not on a government scale or a state scale, but do you think it's appropriate to be politically correct? Definitely. Uh, I think you hit it on the head when you said there's a time and place for everything. You have to be aware of your audience before you say something. And if you're not sure, ask. Ask if it's offensive or politically correct or if you're overstepping your bounds. I don't think that hurts because at the end of the day, even if it's a rude response, you'll learn and you won't do it again. I think being politically correct, I, I agree with political correctness. Like, I just, I think that it's, it's, it's a way of just not being an asshole to people you don't know. That's it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can be an asshole to your friends. Oh, that's fine. Because yeah. yeah. they are willing to accept your assholeness. <laughs> and you prov- you're providing context. And I know right. that they're not racist, even though they're willing to make fun of me in this one regard, because I do it to him too, we're ribbing each other. Mm -hmm. If it's a total stranger, yeah, I'm going to call you out on being a racist. Like, that's a totally different ballgame. Yeah. Yeah. And I think 
Aaron, you had like a perfect definition for it. It's just not being an asshole. <laughs> I think there, like whenever I see like, oh, this political correctness is like ruining us and we're all snowflakes. It's like people just don't want you to be racist. Yeah. <laughs> is it really that difficult to not be racist? But it's... they don't understand that they are yeah. intrinsically <laughs> racist. Yes. There's definitely a mentality which I can sometimes relate to of, oh, so am I like walking on eggshells anywhere I go? Like, mm -hmm. I don't like that the second I make a joke, I'm labeled this. So I think there is on one side of it, people should be, I mean, not understanding <laughs> of, of racist, but being willing to look at the perspective of maybe there's context behind this. Maybe mm -hmm. there's, maybe he's missing a point and I misinterpreted this. Let me, maybe I shouldn't label him as something and maybe I should talk to him about why this upset me. And based on their reaction, then I can label him a racist or something <laughs> like that. Like, yeah, I completely agree. I think that I think a big part of like why people end up walking on eggshells and you know and and that concern is real um, is because they just aren't. Uh, there's no integration, right? There's so much segregation, especially along racial lines in this country. That, like, for example, like I grew up in Philly, which is uh, which is a minority majority city, but that city is so segregated. Even I grew up in a poor area. The poor area was segregated. Here's where the poor black people live. Here's where the poor Hispanic people live. Here's where the poor, you know, white people live. And like, and they and they hate each other. There's a lot of racial animosity in Philadelphia. And so, you know, so I think that the problem, like for me, like when I started to have, when I started to have black friends, like, you know, it was like, I didn't have any black friends growing up because there was so much segregation. There was like one black chick in my high school, you know, like, so it was like, so when you have that situation, I would get nervous um, that I would say something inappropriate, that I would like step out of bounds, whatever. And now that I have some black friends, I have done that. And they've been super cool about it. Like, like for example, I have a friend who like, I just made this horrible um, assumption that she didn't like Dave Matthews Band because of her race. <laughs> like that was, I mean, I was, it was my Liz Lemon moment. You know what I mean? Like here's my, here's my ignorant racism that I'm not even aware of. And she was just like, Hey girl, why do you think that I wouldn't like Dave Matthews? And I'm like, I do not know. I do not know why I thought that. But I was like, it's oh, I thought eyes. it because I thought it because I'm racist. You know what I mean? Because that's my racism coming forward. It was embarrassing, but it was important. And I and I'm so appreciative of her for being so cool about it. Because she doesn't have to be. Like she doesn't right. she doesn't owe me that, you know? Mm -hmm. I think it yeah, it comes down to communication and being comfortable looking at yourself and saying that I have flaws. Mm -hmm. Now I have yeah. a question the way you brought it up. Would you say that be believing a stereotype through ignorance, like, I could, I would say that that leads to racism, but if you have some of those, is that automatically racist? Like, what's, no, no, I what's would the just, range? For me, like, I definitely, I have a history of racism because I'm from, again, like, I mean, I, I'll blame it on my, on my, like, upbringing, right? And not, like, it was never explicit racism. There's no, like, using the N-word, nothing like that. But there's, like, there's the racism of, like, you know, uh, assuming, you know, assuming somebody's, um, uh, economic status based on race. You know what I mean? Like that was huge in Philadelphia or, yeah. you know, so like there was, I didn't realize, but I was, I was raised really racist. And again, like I'll say, I was like a Liz Lemon racist because Liz Lemon is racist. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like there's lots of parts of 30 Rock that show, sorry, I'm like obsessed with 30 Rock. Um, <laughs> but like, you know, but, like there's, so, there's so many, she is racist, but it doesn't come from a, it's not an anger place. It's like a, just, an ignorance. it's an yeah. ignorance, you know? But like you have to like learn from it. Like that's that's the responsibility. Like I've come to learn I'm a racist in recovery. 
and I will probably be in recovery forever, but. Yeah, and to a point, you know, if we do censor everything or make everything politically correct, then you would have never known that. Like if, if everything was so taboo, you couldn't bring it up, then how do you know that it's wrong and how do you fix it? Absolutely. Yeah, and something you brought up with the segregation. I read this book um, in college. It's called Why Do All the Black Kids Sit Together in the Cafeteria? And it's this phenomenal book about cultural differences and people always wanting to fit in wherever they can. And in a high school where the minority is the minority, they're going to find that one person who they can relate to the most. Yeah. And that's important. They need someone that they can consistently relate to, but we also need to be able to integrate with other groups and learn all of those perspectives. So that aspect of segregation isn't positive, but being able to have that group to come back to so that you're not constantly being the person to explain your culture to someone else. Like that's exhausting yeah. to always be labeled as like that one Latino kid. And so, oh, so you must know about this. Can you explain it to the class? Like, Oh, I'm not representative of the <laughs> yeah. race. You know? Yeah, that's horrible. You can't do that to a kid or even even an adult. I mean, you got to mm -hmm. be really. I know, like at 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 the college that that will not be named. You know, like I was pretty I was pretty cognizant of that. Like, uh, I taught um, I taught sports economics, and like, and in that one class, I had like one black kid, and there were not a lot of black kids at the school that we are all not talking about. You know, and you know, and so it was like I had to like kind of like there there were times I'm like it's important for me to talk about economic inequality. It's important for me to talk about racism in pro sports. But I'm also nervous because I have this one kid and it, it becomes, it becomes, it's awkward and it's mm -hmm. scary, but that's what educators have to do. You have to push yourself and Hey, sometimes like I could have been burned, you know, I could be burned any day, but you got to talk, bring yeah, it like, back wow. to fire, you know, <laughs> but you know, but, but you got to be willing to do that. You got to be willing to step in it every once in a while. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of us, when we see that somebody is being crucified for no reason, we need to be willing, we as like, you know, I'm speaking as like, you know, a liberal progressive woman, like I have to be willing to step up and be like, dude, stop it. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the food in the cafeteria is fine. You know what I mean? <laughs> when I think of like political correctness gone wrong, I think of people creating a conflict that isn't there, like someone kneeling to protest the flag. Yeah. And you telling them you have to stand, that is what I would consider to be political correctness. Mm -hmm. yeah. And like patriotism gone wrong. Um, I know I read these couple of articles of like how Twitter and things going viral can ruin people's lives over one single joke. Like that would be political correctness gone wrong. I can distinctly remember one of a woman who is pretending to yell in front of a monument of veterans saying like, please be respectful and quiet. And her joke is that she, on social media, posts ignoring signs. So if it's something like stay off the white line, she would be stepping on the white line. Or like don't step on the grass, she'd be stepping on the grass. She was being consistent with that. And everyone else said this person does not respect uh, our veterans. And she lost her job. Like she lost a bunch of money. She like had to give up her house. And it was over the course of a week. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And yes, maybe she should have thought a little bit further of what this could be interpreted as, but she was crucified within hours. Mm -hmm. And we're and we're kind of okay though with somebody being crucified for being like a white supremacist, mm -hmm. right? Oh, On, definitely. Being outed, you know, somebody down in like Charlottesville, right? 
Yeah, yes. we're yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you know, and it's like, and there I'm like, so it's like, yeah, trying to figure out what. Like, when is it okay? Yeah. <laughs> when is it okay to destroy somebody's life? Yeah. Like, there was there was a woman speaking about, like, kind of, there, remember, the, this was years ago, there was a woman who um, was on a flight, she was uh, going to Africa, and she made, she made uh, an AIDS joke. But the AIDS joke is so, I think she said something like, you know, I'm going to Africa, I hope I don't get AIDS, just kidding, I'm white. And it was kind of like a, sh- a like, she said, and I can see this, she was making a joke about her own privilege like you know what I mean like I don't have to worry about stuff because I'm white you know what I mean like and it's like okay but the problem was she's in PR right like by the time she landed in Africa she lost her job and like it had gone viral on Twitter it was like you could watch the live progression of wait do we know where she's landing can someone get there and take pictures of her and see when she turns on her phone to see like how her life falls apart when she gets there and they got it they got that footage and it was honestly scary like I think that was going too far personally like (laughs) I'll just put myself out there (laughs) it's like watching a book burning (laughs) nailed it that's right nailed it That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next week when we talk about Shrek and meme culture. If you liked us, find us on Twitter and Instagram at 2 underscore bald men. And find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thank you all so much again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.